Right, hello everybody and welcome to a, we can't call this a blood red podcast or a royal blue podcast, I suppose it's a, a purple podcast because we've got Tony Evans, uh, the author with us here today to talk about his new book, Two Tribes, which is uh, focusing on the, uh, the 1985-86 season, specifically what happened on the pitch, but also more than a backdrop, what was happening off it, because um, it's not just a football story, it's Tony, there's a, an awful lot of politics in there and basically how the city of Liverpool stood up effectively against the establishment at the time? Yeah, I mean, it was the worst time in the city's history, probably. Um, you know, the, the, this was uh, an environment where, at cabinet level, they talked about the managed decline of the city. Yeah. They actually talked about starving an entire region of resources to make people leave because it, it was a, the, the region politically opposed yeah. Thatcherism. And, you know, when you think of that sort of lunacy that was going on, the Scouse accent was criminalised across yeah. the country. It's... Um, People treated you as if you were, well, the enemy within, yeah, which is you know the, the, one of the, the Thatcher, um, one of the Thatcher cliches really, and and in this time we had the best two teams in Europe, yeah. and of course, un- unfortunately, uh, the, the, we, the, to even further blacken the city's name, the Heisel disaster happens, which obviously Liverpool fans were culpable in yeah. and and deserved the blame that, that that was apportioned to them. But Thatcher grabbed hold of that yeah. and used that as a weapon to beat the city with. Immediately after, the day after, she made a statement where she said, "Oh, you know, these people, these, these people are violent. Just look at the records in industrial relations." She yeah. equated strikes with Heisel, and um, and it, it, it was a terrible time, but. The season turned out to be a brilliant season, life-affirming for a number of reasons, and the city restored its reputation. Yeah, I mean, it, it can't be understated, really, you know, so how, how different the two sets of supporters were back then. Because mm. uh, I suppose it all started in 84 with the, the Milk Cup final, and, you know, so the nil-nil draw, the chance of Merseyside. And then for Heysel to have happened in between times, and then for them both to get through to an FA Cup final, absolutely right. You know, the city's reputation, as the book cover says, was on the line. You know, mm. it was. Uh, if anything had gone wrong that day, um, you know, the city would have been savaged, absolutely savaged. But it was quite the opposite, wasn't it? it, it I remember it myself. It was almost like Scousers against the world back then, and uh, it was quite a, a life-affirming time to uh, to be a football fan. Oh, it was great. I mean, you know, the, the eighty-four League Cup final was fantastic. I remember going down on the Saturday. It was a Sunday game, yeah. and everyone on the train were wearing red and blue stickers which said "I support Liverpool City Council" on, and um, got off at Euston. Everyone was because <laughs> at the height of the minor strike was singing "Arthur Scargill, we'll support you evermore," <laughs> and I was like, the Londoners were looking at us as if we were from another planet, yeah, and we were species, yeah. Pol- Politically, we were, yeah. and there was there was a great togetherness um, then. And although the political situation had changed by 1986, the miners had been defeated. Um, Liverpool City Council had lost their fight with the government and were were, were on the retreat. Um, it was still this sense of togetherness from Liverpool and Everton fans and this sense of, you know what, we're not like you. We don't believe that there is no society. We don't believe that greed is good. We, we believe in a different way. And, you know, the, the, the teams, we had the two best teams in Europe, right. were flag bearers for the community they come from. And the players understood that. You know, you look at uh, Reedy in the book and Neville, you know, talking about it and, and Sharpie. 
you know, they understood their, their importance to the people who followed them around the country, and it wasn't just about winning matches. I bet you had no trouble getting Neville to speak, did you? Oh, he was brilliant. <laughs> I, um, I phoned him on Friday to ask him a yeah. question. Friday, uh, about five to one. Yeah. And at four o'clock, I said, Neville, I said, listen, I love talking about Jeremy Corbyn, <laughs> but, yeah. but I've, got, I've, got, I've got something on now. Well, I used to do a column with him for the Fussy Echo years ago, and typical Neville, like, he'd be grumpy when you rang up, or what do you want? And then you hear like splashes in the background 45 minutes later. What are you doing, Nev? I just got in the bath. Oh, and he carries on talking to you. And then you let him like sort of drying himself off. And it kind of was genuinely like a couple of hours worth from a guy that didn't want to speak to you like two hours earlier. And, and, and he's brilliant because he's a really clear thinker. Yeah. People might see him on Twitter and think, you know, he's a bit random and he's yeah. making gags, but he isn't. He's got really clear minds. Yeah. And he's um, he's very sort of committed to, 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 sort of to social justice. And, yeah. you know, what more could you ask for? Yeah. He was the best goalkeeper yeah. I've ever seen as well. And I saw Gordon Banks. Yeah. Well, I totally echoed that. Best I've seen in the flesh, 100%. I bet Peter Reid was a slightly different animal to try and get to open up about it because you mentioned in the book, I mean, probably fast forward a bit towards what happened towards the end, but that ridiculous decision for Everton and Liverpool to travel back, A, on the same plane, and then to go around the city on a coach together. And, you know, and you know, Everton, the losers, I think they were a couple of coaches back, weren't they? Liverpool, the winners. And they both embraced it and both said, all right, we'll do it. But Reedy was desperately unhappy. And I think he went missing, didn't he, on, the, uh, on this Saturday night? One of the things was... Like they, the Liverpool boys wanted to talk about the season. You know, they, they love talking about the season. Uh-huh. The Everton boys were like, talk about anything else. And they were brilliant about the politics. But really, he said to me, he said uh, they went back to the uh, to the banquet uh, after the cup final, and you know the mood was grim. Obviously, they were they were really they were really down. And he, and he said to Howard, he said, he said, I'm not going I'm on, the, on the flight yeah. tomorrow, I'm not going on the buses, Howard said, I'll find you two weeks' wages. He said, do you want, do you want to check now? <laughs> so, uh, and, and he did. did he about missing. Yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah. he went, he, uh, and he watched the parade from a pub yeah. in Bolton. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it was the right thing to do. But, you know, the, w- one of the things that he did talk about was even though they'd lost the cup final, yeah. and even though the team, 10 days, 10 days before... I didn't think as a Liverpool fan that we could win the league. I didn't think that we could... I thought Everton would do the double. Well, Everton won at Anfield in February. Yeah. I think we thought that's it, nailed on. Yeah. yeah. So a title race over. 11 points clear yeah. going into March. Yeah. And um, all through the season, Liverpool were in transition. You never thought they'd win it. In fact, I didn't think Liverpool would win the league until that night at Leicester when the news came through from Oxford. That Lineker had left his lucky boots out. Yeah, that, that was the first <laughs> yeah. time yeah. I, I thought so. But Reed, he said, despite all that, he said one of the best things in his life was to see young Reds, young Blues, all together at yeah. Wembley at a time when the, the city needed a show of strength and a show of unity. Yeah. And I, I still think it's one of the most remarkable things I've seen in football. I've seen a fair amount in football. Yeah, yeah. I've seen brilliant games. I've seen European Cup finals. Uh, one of the most remarkable things I've seen is Evertonians staying, standing, applauding and chanting Merseyside after they've been beaten in a cup final by yeah. Liverpool and Liverpool had done the double. It, it, it's all inspiring and, and, you know, sometimes you look at the, 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 the way re- relations between the two sets of fans has deteriorated recently yeah. and you want to shake them and say, you should have been there 
than than yeah. you know young Liverpudlians. You should have been there, and if you would have been, you, you'd, you'd always have respect for Everton and Evertonians. It's funny. I've written countless pieces about the deteriorating relationship down the years, and probably the best angle I've had on it was when Peter Robinson tried to get you know sort of some sense of you know what went wrong from him. And he nails it down to when uh, the all-seater stadia came in in like the early 90s, about 92, 93, I think it was. And if you remember the derbies in the 80s, you know, you'd always get loads of Evertonians on the cop. They always went to that bottom right-hand section yeah. and, you know, so all mixed. And I think the Kenny goal at Anfield in that 85, 86 season, the street end just goes up because it's full of reds. Oh, the, yeah, the yeah. bottom part, they <laughs> mix together. And uh, you'll find that if anybody was acting stupid and trying to, you know, kick off, you get like more sensible fans. They yeah. self-police. Yeah. And so you'd have that. And then, obviously, when all seater Stadia came in, and uh, you have to try and polarise a section of the ground, and you put, you know, so Liverpool fans in one section, Everton in another. I think Peter Robinson said it was the first game was at Anfield, and Liverpool said, "Well, we can only give you two and a half thousand tickets because we've got, you know, enough fans of our own, and you're going to be in this section here." And that, like, focused, you know, if you like, a bit of, you know, ire on that small section. Mm-hmm. No self-policing going on. Everton tip for tat right when you come to Goodison, you're only getting two and a half, three thousand again in a small section at the top of the Bullens Road, and so it just started to focus attention on a particular set of fans rather than everyone mixing everyone having a crack during the game and it's, I, I genuinely think it started to deteriorate from that point because mm. you know you remember high salt happened you know sort of prior to 89 you know yeah. sort of the cup final then it was never an issue no one ever mentioned it mm. it was only like you know in the mid 90s where yeah, suddenly yeah, exactly. amongst their attorneys it started to become an issue and yeah. it's like you know, how did that do you think, happen do you think that stems from the lack of relative success that both the clubs have had in, in the years since do you think maybe it was easier when they were both competing for the big prizes regularly, and then maybe that resentment and bitterness has has crept in. Well, uh, no, well, yeah, to to a certain extent, but I, I you know, I, I, th- I think you're 100 percent right, David. I think that's um, you know, the the the, the us and them of the all seater stadium changed yeah. the, the nature. Um, but I think I, I feel that the, there's been lots of mistakes Everton have made over the years um, over the. Um, Sort of the post Heisel period, yeah. and it's easier to point the finger at Heisel than actually to look internally at the real problems. I mean, just uh, you know, letting Howard go yeah. when he went to Bilbao. Yeah. Um, you know, if if they would have made the offer of uh, the, the, the that they eventually made him earlier, he yeah. would have stayed. And then you know, things are different. There's lots of missteps, and the way the way Everton has been run by successive owners yeah, yeah. over the years. The problems are more internal than caused by what happened in Brussels back in 1985. Talking about problems that have created themselves, one of the absolute glaring ones is the guy that scored the goal in that cup final that year, Gary Lineker, who scored 40 goals that season and then was sold. And uh, it was justified by Howard the following season because it had become one-dimensional and relying on Lineker's pace. Uh, you know, we won the season, won the league the season after. You know, with Adrian Heath back in the side, therefore it was justified. And it wasn't. You know, I, I suspect the players that you spoke to will have said the same. You don't sell a world-class striker like that and expect to take the club on. And I think, on a short term, Everton got away with it in '87. Long term, they didn't. They suffered, yeah. and and Lineker didn't want to go. He was more than happy to stay put. But you know, if Everton are going to force you to go to Barcelona, which they did, you'll you know, I suppose reluctantly. But wasn't that reluctant in the end? But you know, Everton suffered as a result. So yeah, that was a problem very much of their own making. Yeah, and and the thing is, I'd, I'd spoken to Howard over the years, and he always was kind of a bit, you know, yeah. He changed the way we played. We sat too deep. Hmm. You know, it's uh, we, we we didn't get the goals from the midfield, and yeah. he scored all the goals, but we didn't get enough from everyone else. You know, and he always pointed to uh, Derek Monfield, yeah. you know, getting double figures the year before yeah. when, when Everton won the league. 
then I spoke so I kind of went into this book yeah. with the idea that Lineker might have been the issue yeah. not one player I spoke to give that give that any credence they yeah. all shot it down immediately on both sides Liverpool players oof no no <laughs> no he was he was really top class deadly yeah. to play against Everton players no he was brilliant yeah. and and no it definitely wasn't Lineker the reason that things went wrong I, well I think the problem with Everton that year was there's won the league and the only one in the, in the, at the club who had uh, sort of the team and management team, obviously Colin Harvey as well, but Co- Colin Harvey and Howards were the only ones who'd won a title before, yeah. and that was back in 1970. And I think one of the things uh, Steve Nichols said to me, he said, it's hard, once you've won, it's hard to win again. Yeah. He said, because everyone's slapping you on the back, buying you drinks. He said, like, it goes to your head a little bit. He said, and also the opposition get a bit tougher. You know, yeah. you're the ones to be shot at. And I think that's what ultimately did for Everton. That and injuries yeah. to Mountfield and to Reedy. Yeah, very much so. From, from Liverpool's point of view, I mean, just put, put, trying to put into context what Kenny Dalglish achieved in, in that year, because when you think where the club was at at the start of that season, you know, it was a massive challenge, wasn't it, that he was taking on, making that leap from, you know, being one of the lads in the dressing room to suddenly being being the boss and and trying to pick the club up post Heysel. Yeah, and his first duty as a manager at Liverpool was to take a wreath and lay it at the cathedral for the dead of Heysel. I mean, you know, no manager should be expected to do that, especially one so young and so inexperienced. And, um, you you know, Kenny's like, it's a funny talk as the mall say. You know, Steve Nichols said, uh, Kenny phoned him and said, yeah, I'm going to be the manager. And he was like, he said he giggled nervously. Yeah. And he said, well, have you got something to say? Say it now. <laughs> Get it out there. And he's like, um, well, just what should I call you? He said, yeah. Anything but Kenny, boss, yeah. gaffer, and you know he he, he come <laughs> in and like you know they, they, all the players they were, they didn't know how it was going to work and yeah. and they actually some of them doubted it whether yeah. it, it, it would work but you know if you doubt Kenny Dalglish you're insane yeah definitely well let's let's go to the match itself uh, the eighty six Cup final I mean where were you that day James were you watching it at home watching it on, on yeah. TV yeah yeah. presume you were uh, you were at the stadium but not one of those fans swinging from the uh, Precipitous heights <laughs> trying to get in. You had a ticket. Yeah, I had a ticket. And, um, yeah. and I'll tell you what, the, the, having a ticket, obviously the whole city was desperate to have tickets. Yeah. And you know, you, you got it. It's like, I never let it out of my sight. And you know, it's in your pocket, you're touching your pocket yeah. every 30 seconds just to feel it's still there. It's, um, I was in the upper section yeah. at, at our end. And it was absolutely jam-packed. Yeah. Well, you know what it's like at Wembley, in the upper section especially, if there was 98,000 there, you had room to move, you know. Yeah. You, you weren't packed. It wasn't like yeah. the street ends or the cop. Yeah. That day it was. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's uh, the easiest way to get in. It wasn't to swing from, you know, <laughs> risk your life swinging yeah. from scarves. It was, um, it was give the gate man a tenner and loads of people did that. Well, yeah, it's, it's funny you should say that because 84, obviously I didn't go in 86, couldn't get a ticket and didn't take the chance of going down there. But I went in 84, went in 89. 84, I had a ticket and the only one I could get was for the Liverpool end. And obviously I wanted to be in the Everton end. So like you just said then, you don't leave your tickets out of your sight. And so I saw some guy who was like, you know, sort of selling tickets outside the ground. And so I went over to him and said, have you got a swap? And he said, well, so I've got a Liverpool section, what an Everton section. Yeah, go on then. And so the pair was like, you know, Mexican standard yeah, off yeah. in the late time. <laughs> he grabbed this, I grabbed it exactly the same time. And as soon as I grabbed the one off him, he legged it. And I thought, oh God. So I looked at the ticket he'd given me and it was for the Amazon section, but it was so obviously counterfeit. It was untrue. <laughs> yeah. I thought, what have oh. I done here? So I thought, I've got no chance, have I? So while I was like walking around the ground, I heard somebody say, turnstile such and such. He's letting people in for a fiver. I said, really? So I go around there. <laughs> 
Right, I was in the Liverpool section again. So, uh, you know, so I went through and I, to be absolutely safe, I gave him a tenner and they get you looked at me, you know, so test the other pedal. So yeah. I got through, but that section, you get through that turnstile and there's another turnstile to go through yeah. into like seats. And I thought, oh, I'm never going to get to see this game. Anyway, there was like a little surge of fans going through and I managed to square in the middle of them and squeeze around. They weren't actual seats, they were like long benches. Yeah, yeah. So I did actually manage to squeeze in on the Liverpool section to see Alan Hansen's handball. But we'll yeah. that's, that's another one we'll go to. <laughs> <laughs> but it did it underlined you know sort of how desperate people were to get to the game then and I remember I heard subsequently there was some local council bylaw that was still in operation then whereby a game on a Sunday they had to leave uh, one turnstile open for the poor of the community that could get in for nothing obviously didn't advertise it at all but some fans got to hear of it and there was a turnstile letting people in for nothing you know in the standing section and only a handful got in but obviously they'd got wind that that couldn't possibly happen in 86 they repealed that law yeah. and so there was no chance you had to have a ticket <laughs> all, you know, spin from the heights but you know it must have been like comfortably for, I don't know 100,000 plus in oh, there. It, was, it was incredible you know, wasn't I'd, it? I'd say that that would be at least 120,000 yeah. it was um yeah, it, it was amazing, and the atmosphere was there. It's probably, you know, the, the, you know, you look at the great games you've seen over the years. You know, you can talk about Istanbul and that, but it's probably the most remarkable yeah. game I've ever seen. And I'd say not just, you know, I mean, on the pitch, the, 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 the drama was yeah. amazing. Everything yeah. was so dominant for the mm. first hour. And um, and, you know, and then the, the incident with Beglin and Grobler, yeah. you know, so the, the pushing match. I tried to leave at that point. <laughs> I mean, mate just basically <laughs> threw himself over me as a dead weight. And yeah. I said, I said, that's it. We're gone. They are. Yeah. We're out of And then, um, and uh, you know, and then then the change. You know, and then um, one misplaced pass yeah. for the first time in the game. Molby on the wrong side of Bracewell and Reed. Yeah. And then. Boom, in a second. And it was, I mean, in many ways, it was an allegory for the whole season because Everton were the better side, Everton were a better team, and we're in front. And then all of a sudden, Liverpool's ability to stay in the fight, even though they weren't as good, kicked in and, and saw them through. Well, I think you can never, I mean, looking at that, you know, the league campaign, you can't ever underestimate, you know, how Liverpool finished that season. It's probably one of the greatest finishes to a season yeah. in their modern history. So to find themselves so far behind and then go on this outstanding run. Because I remember as an Evertonian, just looking at the away games Liverpool had lined up and thinking, oh, well, I'll drop a point there. They needed a draw, didn't need to, you know, sort of lose a game. But they kept winning, they kept winning. Yeah. Was it Watford away, Luton away, and then Leicester, you know, the, uh, the Tottenham. Middle, top, Tottenham, yeah. yeah. All big games, the, incredible. The, there was a, you know, talking about it. Um, I think it's Malby in the book that said uh, after the derby, they were in the dressing room. And said, "All right, you know, you know, we've had this. Right, all we can say is there's 36 points available. Let's try and get as many as we can." He said, "We only got, we only got 34." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it, it's it, it it was a remarkable and and Everton. You know, it's not like they collapsed. Yeah. It's you know what you, the margins were. A draw, so yeah. yeah, and exactly. one defeat. What, what was it that clicked? Then, what, speaking to the players from that that team, what was it that changed? Do you think maybe being that far behind, the pressure was off a little bit? You know, then they... no. It's, 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 I think again, Steve Nichol, who was brilliant to deal with. He's uh, again one of. I, I I first met him, and I, I knew of his reputation as, as a daft lad. You know, one of them, and you hear all the stories about him. He's a lot of crisps. From the players, yeah, <laughs> and, and you know and some of the adventures he got up to. But actually, he's another one. Whenever I feel I'm falling out of love in football with football, I phone Steve because he's, he's got such a clear view of the yeah. game, and he said, he said the thing is, 
we, we, our mindset was different. He said, "He said I, I just thought it was the same everywhere." He said, "We were like Moonies. We, we just <laughs> believed, and we yeah. believed we were going to win, and we believed that no one could stop us, and and that sense of belief propelled them through." And as I say, Everton were the champions there to be shot at. Everyone was trying harder against them, you know, to to bring them down. Lineker's scoring all these, and Lineker's injuries caught up with him in the tail end of the season. So his goals dried up a little bit, um, and it, then he had another scoring burst yeah. after Dalglish had scored at Stamford Bridge. You know, he's, he's got five more goals, didn't he, after that? Got a hat-trick against Southampton. That was when Everton, so Liverpool were playing Chelsea that day. Yeah. And it was one of those days of Chinese whispers where you're at Goodison and uh, someone starts a false cheer in the crowd and it goes <laughs> round and the crowd suddenly thinks Chelsea are winning. And Peter Reid actually ran over to the touchline and said, uh, you know, so fan with the transistor radio, what's going on? And the fan said, no, Dag Leach has scored. And he said, in that moment, he knew. He said, I just knew it had gone. They weren't going to give up, give up one, they'll lead. And you know, they didn't. Well, the funny yeah. thing is as well, uh, Frank McAvenny was saying West Ham, because if Liverpool would have drawn yeah. at Stamford Bridge, Everton and West Ham would have played off on, the played Monday, on the Monday yeah. for, for yeah. To, to be... T- Champions, you know, yeah. which is a, and, and McAvenny said that West Ham at Upton Park, they did that Liverpool were getting beat as well. <laughs> and they thought they were in the chance of the title. He said he's, he's never seen so many grown men cry. <laughs> so, so, what was the, the actual motivation then to, uh, to, to write this book? Because your previous one was obviously about the, uh, the 84 you know, European Cup campaign. This is about a season as a whole, but obviously it's developed into something more than that. I mean, yeah, I, what happened was um, the, the editor who commissioned it had read the 84 book. And he liked it because it was all, you know, sort of, I mean, it was fairly some robust characters telling good tales, <laughs> yeah. which is always good. Yeah. Um, and he said to me, he said, oh, you should have put more of yourself into it. You went to all the games that season, and you know, why didn't you give your perspective? So I was like, oh, I wasn't really comfortable. He said, if we do a book about, why don't, why don't you do a book about 80, 85, 86, and, you know, and, 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 and do that? And originally it was just going to be a Liverpool and Everton book. It was going to be a football book, yeah. very much like the '84 book, with a bit of my perspective as what it was like as a fan. And then I, I, I got to the day before I was supposed to deliver it, and I looked out and I thought, you know what, this is crap. <laughs> this is lazy. Yeah. It's really lazy. Yeah. There were bigger things happening. Yeah. There, you know, there, there is a, a bigger book, a more important book there. So I phoned him up and said, look, I can give you this. But I'm not going to. I'm going to trash you. So if you want the advance back, I'll have to pay it back. Okay. But what I really like is to write a book that does the year justice and does the teams involved justice. And one of the things I, I've been wanting to write about their Everton team for a while because I think they're certainly in the top five teams I've ever seen, and I think they're the great, the the, the great unregarded team yeah. of English football history. I think they were just a brilliant side and I used to love watching them. Never wanted them to win mind, yeah, yeah. but they, they yeah. were a pleasure to watch. And um, Except when they beat us. Um, <laughs> and, um, and so I wanted to do that as well. So I thought, and he said, go ahead. You know, you, you, you've got to, you know, I'll give you a year. Yeah. And, um, and, and this is what come out of it. Well, I'm holding in my hands uh, the product of that. And we can just, you know, blow a little bit of smoke up your backside here and read uh, some of the, uh, the blurbs on the back. It tells you, you know, very much what it's about. Matthew Syed, uh, the power of Tony Evans's writing emerges from the juxtaposition of football passion and political insight. A writer who understands that the meaning and beauty of football emerges not from mere tactics and lineups, but from the social context. 
Michael Calvin, Thatcher, Tumult Tunes. This is more than just a football book. Tunes, that's an interesting one because we also dominated the airwaves then as well, didn't we? Well, back yeah, in that era. A, I mean, football yeah. is the biggest expression of working class culture. It certainly was then. Yeah. And it probably still is now, just hanging on. Yeah. Won't be for long, I'm sure. Yeah. But but also music, and you know, in this city, the, the, the music scene, the vibrant music scene, obviously the Beatles uh, transformed things in the 60s. It made everyone think that, you know, they, they could be stars. You know, I always think, you know, that you, punk, you know, the boy looked at Johnny and all that. But I think yeah. it was bigger here, you know, there was, there was something more going on. It wasn't punk, but it was, there was, there was a really creative uprising yeah. in the music scene. And you had, you know, people like Peter Hooten, uh, obviously with The Farm and, yeah. um, and, and The Ends. But showing that, Terrace culture, football culture, wasn't just nihilistic; it was yeah. creative, oh, yes, and and they, they were so linked in. And you know, it's yeah. um, the, you know the, the the bands, the politics, the things, football, the things that this city do really well. We all all come together at probably the worst time in in the, the economic political uh, situation ever for the region, and they, and much of it was magnificent. We can throw another one as well, because Simon Hughes, I think, has captured it quite, uh, quite beautifully here. Politically charged and flashing between scenes of gallows humour and improbable sporting achievements and uncompromising portrayal, Evans brilliantly captures a city under fire through its rival football teams. You know, it is a very, very important season that probably has been downplayed because of, you know, sort of what had immediately preceded it, I suspect, and then what obviously followed it, you know, in the light in with Hillsborough. And it is a season that is... It is. It, it's. It's not looked back on as often as it should be. Yeah. You're proud of it. You're happy with the book. Uh, I'm one of those people who it takes me about five years to look back <laughs> at anything and say, "Oh, that's all right." That. And I'm yeah. like, you know, all, all, all I can see. You get to this point in the book where you know you've you, you've spent three years overall on it, and and part of it is like I never want to think about it again. <laughs> and part of it is, yeah. well. The, the party that doesn't want to think about it again is the part of you know sort of the, the, doing the typos, reading yeah, through, yeah. proofreading it. I mean, the the part of it that you always want to do is talk about that year, and not because of the book, just because it was such it was such a, 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 an unbelievable time. I didn't want to sugarcoat it, you know. I didn't yeah. want I didn't want to be a nostalgic book. Uh, you know, I wanted to show the rawness of how life was, you know, and, um, and one of the things where uh, Giles, the the editor who wanted me to put myself in, I was able to uh, give him experience on the Tottenham I wrote the day of the semi-final yeah. when um, some Southampton fans tried to throw me through a plate glass window yes. and that was fun. So th- there was that element to it and you're yeah. in you're in decrepit, dodgy grounds, but, but the, 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 the Scouse identity was never stronger and football was never better. That was a magnificent place to finish. Right, thank you very much, Tony. Cheers, James. Oh, sheer pleasure. Uh, look forward to reading this. Two Tribes out today.